Hi, and welcome to the Warfare in Conversation podcast. My name is Olga, and I am the founder at Warfare and your host for today's conversation. I am joined by Alice, who is a photographer and texture enthusiast who started her brand Touchnet in January 2022. She started Touchnet after relearning to knit while at home with a broken ankle. Since then, she has worked with some incredible stockists and hand-knitted over 100 items, all of which are hopefully bringing sensory joy to their new owners. Alice wants to make and design things which last, come from natural fibres and feel good to the touch. She is inspired by her Scottish heritage as well as the wealth of creativity around her in Glasgow. She counts herself very lucky to be surrounded by talented people who are forging their own paths and are making incredible art. I will start with saying thank you so much for joining me today in this conversation. It's super lovely to have you in person as well. It's really nice to connect this way. Uh, and you're the first guest to be here in person. So thank you so, so much. I, I'm exactly the same to you, <laughs> Olga. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really cool being here. And yeah, just thank you for uh, opening up this experience for me. Amazing. Now I'm glad. Um, I guess before we begin, I do have a question that I ask uh, all my guests. Mm. And it's, it's almost a reflection for you in terms of looking back in about six months from now uh, and thinking what would make this a win for you. So your participation here today in this conversation, why would it be a win uh, six months down the line, let's say? Mm, yeah. Um, I think for me... Well, it already feels like a win just to be here. <laughs> uh, it's such a nice experience. Um, but yeah, I think just to connect with you, have a good conversation with you um, and to say what I feel rather than to say um, what I think, you know, people want to hear or what I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I think that, that would make it a win for me. Amazing. I'm yeah. so glad. I think similarly for me, um, I do this podcast also with the um with the message that we want to share in mind Mm. so i know that it can be um quite a lot to you know get out there and step up and share your thoughts and your feelings and experiences but i think having that goal of you're doing it for a reason hopefully Mm. that will shift people's uh, way of thinking etc and also to connect with each other so yeah i love that okay Nice. Um, okay, so we can jump into the, to the real conversation of today. And I wonder if you can introduce us a little bit into your world in terms of where you're at and how you arrived to where you're at. Yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of TouchNet, um, I started that about a year ago in January 2022. Um, but further back from that, I have always been um, really interested in textiles and fashion and clothes and texture Um, and, you know, like did knitting and sewing as a child a lot. Yeah, so touch knit is like a a relatively recent thing, but something I've maybe always been interested in. Um, And then I'm also a photographer um, and went to uni and studied art. Um, I did a foundation year at college um, in Edinburgh, and then I went to um, ECA and did Intermedia mm-hmm. uh, for three years. Mm. And then after that, kind of took like a big break from creativity, I suppose. I didn't really want to have anything to do with art. Um, and kind of ever since then, I feel like maybe I've been uh, like on a journey uh, back back to it, back to my creativity mm-hmm. um, and kind of feel like I've found that now, which is really nice. Lovely. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really. <laughs> um, where, where does that creativity come from? Mm. Can, do you, can you point in time and space where you've discovered that you are quite a creative individual? Was it always there? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's probably always been there. Um, I mean, I think everyone's creative in their own ways, uh, but for me, yeah, just I've always, always been interested in it. And as a child, I would always be like crouched down on my floor in my bedroom, you know, like, uh, 
I would go to the local library and um, get out like a different book each week or whatever on like, you know, jewellery making or uh, knitting nice. or sewing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the same for a lot of people I've spoken to who have similar interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just always what I gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I know from our previous conversations that you struggled a little bit with the formal sort of education, even if it was around a creative endeavor. Mm. I wonder if you can just give us a bit of a feel to to how you um, experience that. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who knows me probably is sick of me talking about this. <laughs> um, so I don't want to go on about it. But yeah, I've just always struggled with education. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's never really fit me very well and I've rarely had a good experience with it. Um, I had one really good year at college in Edinburgh. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I've, it's always been a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because of my personality type. Maybe I like push against uh, the structure, mm. um, possibly. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I haven't found a good setup where I felt that it's worked for me mm-hmm. so far. Okay. So what would you say enables creativity for you? Mm. <laughs> These are such good questions, Olga. <laughs> um, I guess having like time and space, mm-hmm. um, but I maybe had too much of that at art school. Wow, okay. Um, so unlimited time and space is not always conducive to creativity, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I work part-time um, in a candle shop mm-hmm. and I actually find that helps me um, if I was trying to do creative things full time, I think I would find it really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be overwhelming. Um, whereas because I have the structure of working, um, for me, it actually makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, in what way does that make it easier for you? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe it's like uh, your brain gets to take a break Mm-hmm. Uh, think about other things and then mm. come back to it um, mm-hmm. or maybe it's that you want to make the most of your days off mm-hmm. so I try to you know make an active effort to be creative on those days to make stuff okay um, you know I once I don't know where I read this but I once read that creatives work in these spells of mm. creativity mm. and uh, they'll have periods where they're very down and low on mm. that and creative energy let's say and then those bursts will happen and um, it's hard to keep it a consistent level. Yeah, that's true. And I found that to be true for myself. Mm. And I think I also juggled two different sort of realities and worlds um, where, yeah, uh, I need a break. And I also feel like long term, I, um, I feel more productive because I am doing something continuously. It doesn't mean that I'm always creating yeah. or being creative. Uh, but it keeps my mind occupied and I think that keeps a healthy sort of mindset and a healthy life in general. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, balance balance is good, but hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that I, um, I know from conversations with people and especially creative people mm. is translating their creativity into a business. Yeah. And I wonder if you can reflect on that transition for you and how that happened. Uh, yeah, I mean... Do you mean like how I started touching it or, uh, yeah, so, um, I started touching it without like a huge amount of thought. Actually, I started it kind of like, I just posted a first post on Instagram, um, and sold a first pair of gloves, which was exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the time it didn't feel like there were loads and loads of reasons why I started it, but on reflection, um, I feel like there are a lot of reasons. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe to like go back and like backtrack a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I, I was focusing on trying to become a photographer mm-hmm. um, and really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. And I went back to college in Glasgow to try and help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, really struggled with the education, struggled with the course and felt um, like really defeated. And I think... I, well, so, so then I broke my ankle um, 
in like autumn of 2021 mm-hmm. and I started knitting and kind of learning how to knit more properly and I was like I really loved it and enjoyed it and felt like it felt so good to make stuff um and I kind of felt like okay I'll, I'll just try this then mm-hmm. um I want to try something new yeah so I was like okay I'm just gonna try a different I'm gonna try a different tact here mm-hmm. um and I also really wanted to get into fashion photography and like being a fashion photographer mm-hmm. but I was struggling to do that um I was like I don't have the portfolio for this like mm-hmm. no one's gonna hire me so I guess I'll make I'll guess I'll make my own products mm-hmm. and then I'll use my photography skills to um take the photos and I'll do it that way mm-hmm. um so I was kind of like let me just go a long way around with this um but as it's happened, I've actually loved doing TouchNet so much and it's been a really wonderful thing um, and I'm so glad I started it. Um, so I kind of finished up my photography course and then that summer is when I did the uh, Princess Trust course, mm-hmm. which is obviously how I ended yeah. up connecting with you. Yep. Um, and that was really helpful. Um, I learned a lot and then kind of have just been focusing on TouchNet ever since. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, uh, I must say that I love the way you combine your photography skills mm-hmm. and your creativity and that imagination of yours that then encapsulates TouchNet and everything it is. I, I am in love with it <laughs> and all your products. <laughs> Thank and you so much. It's, it's absolutely incredible to hear that you have never done that before mm-hmm. and you picked it up and then clearly you have some sort of a talent <laughs> for it I mean I don't know I've actually I'm never really even give it a try I've done some embroidery work because of COVID as well mm, which is yeah, interesting I yeah. think we all had that time yeah um so I did that and it is so time consuming and I feel like I don't have the patience within me to be doing um pieces of almost art yeah, yeah. that take several hours how many hours actually does it take for you to make your products uh, a long time it takes yeah. like a long long time yeah um it can take like sometimes it can take like eight hours to make wow. something um not everything takes as long as that but I timed it once and like it takes four hours to knit one mitten wow <laughs> so it's very very time consuming mm-hmm. um but part of part of why I started touch knit you know, it's not like a completely altruistic mm-hmm. idea where I wanted to start, you know, some kind of ethical, sustainable business just for that reason. Mm-hmm. It's also because I love knitting and mm-hmm. I love making it. And I find like making things very healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do it for me as much as anything else. Nice. And you're doing a really good job. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love doing it. I think it's also important to love what you do. Mm. I don't think we'll have the... I certainly don't have the will to keep going long-term if, if it's not something that I really enjoy doing. No, me neither. Right, so, I mean, I would give yeah. up knitting, I think, after an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because my mind would just try to, you know, go 100 miles an hour yeah. and do 10 other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I think discovering these big things at the end of the day yeah. is so important. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that you arrived there. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. And I think, um, I know that you've got some really exciting success stories around the brand already. You're stocked with some incredible stockists. Mm. Um, and just kind of going back to that idea of transitioning from the creativity and doing something that you ultimately love, um, you know, that element of creating with your hands and and as you say it's almost like a therapy session for you let's yeah. say um how do you navigate that business side of things and mm. creating it into a an enterprise that has sustainability in terms mm. of financial but also mm. um sustainability in terms of environment social which we'll hopefully touch on as well but yeah. just you know how do you navigate that space i find it really hard mm. um but the main thing I, I find it is slow mm-hmm. because it's only me doing it. Mm-hmm. So everything I do, it's it's all me. Yeah. So if I want to create, um, you know, a website, a beautiful website, mm. I either need to have the money to pay somebody to do that, which mm-hmm. I don't, mm. 
or I need to do it myself, which means taking the time to learn how to do that myself. Yeah. I'm sure you know yeah. this feeling as well. Yes. Um, and if I wanted to launch a new product, which is what I'm trying to do at the moment, mm-hmm. um, so I'm working on these like summer hats, mm-hmm. um, which is something I feel really excited about, but it's so slow because mm-hmm. it's only one person. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, um, you know, conceive of the product, feel inspired enough to make something. Mm-hmm. You then have to learn a new skill, um, work out how to make it, make it, take photos of it, market it, you know, it's like, a ridiculously slow progress a, a process sorry doesn't make sense business-wise in terms of how slow it is mm. however you know maybe that's okay because things are too fast probably mm. um in terms of what we expect from fashion mm-hmm. um and so for things to be super super slow maybe like years in the making you know maybe maybe that's good maybe that's okay mm-hmm. yeah no i uh I can echo the the frustration mm. with you in terms of being a one man band essentially, right? <laughs> yeah. You're just literally yeah. doing everything, and it's crazy yeah. to think about it. I mean, I sometimes have that feeling of yeah, I've done so much work in terms of building a product, and I'm happy with it, and I launch it, and then it's like, well, I have another mountain to climb because then there's the marketing side yeah. of things, and it's like, yeah. how do you get it across to the right? consumers yeah and um, so that the products are actually of value and are and de- well demanded by the right people right mm. and you reach them and i'm not sure which one is more difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's so hard it's so hard but then this is when i think it's really important to believe that the right things will reach the right people mm-hmm. and that like you can't necessarily orchestrate that yourself mm-hmm. and you maybe don't know how that's going to happen uh, or who's going to see something you put online um, but that somehow sometimes in some kind of weird magical way yeah. it falls into like the right person's hands yeah. um, and amazing beautiful stuff can yeah. happen because of that yeah I mean one reflection I had recently with that slow mindset of mind and like slow business yeah I feel like I have been able to sort of plant seeds mm. and things that I'd never thought would flourish into anything. Yeah. And then, you know, a year later or so, things are being picked up and then I see the sort of the flowers of that labor, let's say. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to, like the patience it takes for yeah. things to really grow and yeah, totally. the processes that just need the time. Yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, we uh, kind of reflecting back on where we met, which is obviously at the Prince Trust um, Enterprise Program. Yeah. Um, I feel like what I've learned so far being a sort of business to consumer brand um, a fashion brand that produces tangible products and it almost feels like it's a nice to have nowadays Mm. it's not a tech company it's not solving huge issues uh, in this world Um, it's just providing a better a much better alternative to what's out there in the fashion world right Um, so there is a bit of a, a, I think, a huge challenge in terms of how do we get funding, how do we accelerate growth, yeah. if it's not that slow kind of everyday grind, you know, pushing it one bit at a time, um, rather than an overnight success and something yeah. that can be accelerated really fast yeah. and then scaled to like millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have the ambition to be scaling to millions of people. I don't certainly, I don't, I don't really know. No, no, I don't think I do either. No. But I mean, you never know. You never know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to uh, be a much better option to the fast fashion giants and things yeah. like that. So uh, I feel like that always drives me personally in business um, and kind of doing what I'm doing. Yeah, totally. What yeah. drives you? <laughs> a big um, question. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny. Um, I used to work at Jigsaw, uh, mm-hmm. the clothes shop, just mm-hmm. as like a sales assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interviewed uh, someone for a job there who's now turned out to be um, a really close friend. But I remember one of the questions on the sheet was, what motivates you? Um, and I think it's a really difficult question to answer. It is. Um, like what motivates any of us, I guess, wanting to be happy, wanting to live a, a fulfilled life, mm. uh, wanting to express ourselves, mm-hmm. um, wanting to, 
be the best person we can be. Mm. Um, I think those things are pretty universal, probably. Yeah, I would hope so. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know some people have very different values yeah, and yeah. mindsets. So I would really hope that's the case for for more people, to be honest. Yeah, totally. But I yeah. definitely, I like, I like, I like that. Um, I think just fulfillment is definitely fulfillment and um, being of value to others and providing something that's of value. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting to explore, and I think that gives me. Um, like joy mm. at the end of the day yeah totally yeah nice is there a direction you're going in with your business mm. where would you like to take it where where do you want to be with it um well I mean I guess this is another kind of difficult part of having like such a small business is mm. that sometimes you don't have time to think about where you want it to to go mm-hmm. um sometimes you're so you spend so much time just doing the thing in front of you mm-hmm. um, that you don't maybe have time to set aside to think about big picture stuff. Mm. Um, but I really, really loved working with uh, Mimo Studios mm-hmm. in Cheltenham, one of my stockists, mm-hmm. and Bard uh, in Edinburgh, the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both so amazing and I could talk about how much I love them for ages. <laughs> um, so continuing to work with them uh, is something I'm definitely keen on. Mm-hmm. Um, and also continuing to use photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm planning on doing a shoot soon, um, collaborating with some other people. Nice. Um, and I'm actually planning on doing a shoot where I won't be photographing, mm-hmm. um, which will be kind of stepping up my comfort zone for me. Uh, That's <laughs> yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think it might be good for me because mm-hmm. it's so much to try and ask of yourself to do uh photography on top of everything else so mm-hmm. i'm interested to see what happens when someone else is taking the photos mm-hmm. i think it's nice to um put yourself in the shoes of that person because obviously you're the the one taking pictures usually and yeah. understanding how they feel yeah might help you to be a better photographer totally in the end. <laughs> totally totally yeah so that's fun yeah nice yeah i mean you did um mention that incredible experience of connecting with your stockist memo bar mm. Could you just walk us through that journey and what was the experience like? Yeah, yeah. So um, for Mimo, they reached out to me on Instagram and asked me if I would like to work with them. And uh, when they did, I was so like flattered and mm. excited, but also really nervous because I had never done that before. I didn't mm-hmm. know how to do it. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. really. Um, mm-hmm. And they were so kind. Um, I really didn't understand anything about pricing mm-hmm. uh, or how to work with a stockist. And so they really helped me with that. Nice. Um, and then with Bard, uh, that was just really a beautiful thing where um, someone I know from uni went to their um, like opening event uh, and she just mentioned me and mentioned my knitwear and said maybe like, you know, they would be interested in working with me, um, which is one of the kindest things that someone could do. Um, and so it resulted in us, you know, emailing each other and mm. then, um, stocking my knitwear. Um, but I just feel like we have this amazing connection and it also resulted in them very kindly giving me some photography work, mm. um, where I photographed them for a toast article, um, and then also went up north to um, a place called Both House where they were doing a kind of residency and they again very very kindly asked me to come with them and take photos as well as taking my balaclavas up there Mm -hmm. and it's been such a nice experience Um, we've all been through terrible work environments where we haven't felt (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I know I have (laughs) where we haven't felt like appreciated or valued mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why I wanted to start touching it is because I wanted to be more in a position where I was maybe in charge or mm-hmm. in control and able to work with people as equals mm-hmm. rather than feeling put down mm. by my employers mm-hmm. and so working with Bard has really felt like that it's felt like 
working with people who respect you and value your work, which is a wonderful thing, which yeah. everyone should get to experience. Yeah. yeah, certainly. I definitely agree in terms of, again, I think going back to maybe the motivation element in yeah. terms of being your own boss and starting your company is for me as well the fact that I get to choose uh, who I work with. Yeah. And that has been a life-changing <laughs> yeah. event. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's incredible. And even, you know, doing this kind of thing, yeah. um, I wouldn't have that yeah. opportunity to be, to be choosing and picking, you know, incredible people to chat with. It's, it's so, so um, true. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's, it, it feels so, so nice to be able to do things with people who you like mm. and who you respect and trust. Mm. And I mean, you mentioned working up north. I just kind of brought that geographical aspect to the mm. conversation in my head. Yeah. And I wonder if there is any maybe heritage involved in your work. Is, have mm. you, is that part of what you do at all? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up uh, in Elgin, which is in the northeast of Scotland, mm-hmm. and felt like had... I, I was very lucky to have a lot of exposure to nature growing up. Um, and I think that's, uh, I don't know exactly how, but I feel like that comes through with my work. Maybe it's like my interest in natural fibers mm. uh, or the way I like to photograph things outside. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just things like, I mean, Scottish knitwear, like Scotland has a, an amazing knitwear history. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I, I really know I'm not an expert mm-hmm. by any means on it. Um, but, you know, just seeing, like, uh, you know, my dad's jumpers, you know, growing up mm. being inspired by, like, long-lasting knitwear, I think definitely comes through still. That's brilliant. I love that. And I think, yeah, it's nice to tell that story, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely, yeah. It's hard to... Um, ignore I think as well mm. right yeah your your upbringing and where you come from and what were your experiences like yeah totally. um and yeah no thanks for sharing that um just to kind of move on I mean we've we did touch on this idea of the social and environmental sustainability of a business yeah and I think these are values that we both sort of resonate with um within our businesses and I know that it's a it's always a trade-off and a, and a challenge in terms of being um, you know, being sustainable, what can we do with the budgets we have and with the resources we have? I wonder if you have any sort of key challenges you're trying to tackle with mm. your brand in terms of social or environmental sustainability. Mm. Um, Olga and I went to an event together for uh, Fashion Revolution Week um, and we watched some amazing documentaries and films about these issues and I think it's uh really sad how in some ways so little has changed since then I I just read an article actually on Vogue um they published an article a few days ago you know like 10 years on from the Rana Plaza collapse how much progress have we really made Mm. and the article was kind of empty really because how much progress have we really made? Mm. In, in some ways, none. In some ways, mm. none. Um, so I guess that's another reason that probably motivates me for my business is that... So there were, the, like, these really nice um, signs that people were holding up this week, you know, like, who made my clothes? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, with TouchNet... And with so many people who are doing similar things, it's really cool because you you know who made the clothes. You know, Mm -hmm. I can say it was me. Mm -hmm. And the same for so many other small businesses, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing positive and a really beautiful thing, I think. But also, um, in terms of sourcing the materials that I use to make the Mm -hmm. clothes... um, I don't know very much about that, and that's something I would like to work on. I initially really wanted to use only Scottish wool or only mm-hmm. British wool, but it's quite scratchy or a lot of it's quite scratchy mm-hmm. and it's more expensive as well. Mm-hmm. And so 
I haven't succeeded with that so far. And mm. so the wool that I'm using, like, yes, I can answer who, who made my clothes, but I can't answer, you know, who, who farmed the sheep and mm-hmm. who sheared them and mm-hmm. who spun the wool and who dyed it. Um, so those are things I'd like to work on and things I would like to know the answers to mm-hmm. myself. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely like an area of um, growth. Maybe. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, it's not really on you to tackle. I think that's the systemic <laughs> change that yeah, we need yeah. in terms of um, having more transparency beyond your sort of immediate um, yeah. suppliers and then really be able to even have that information because I'm sure that yeah. even if you tried your best, nine out of ten times you're probably not going to succeed um, securing that information. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a massive challenge that is not really, you know, neither of us can solve. No. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think our job is to be transparent and yeah. demand, you know, as much as we can yeah. and hope for, for other people to pick up, for the people who are in power and who have that power to, to make changes. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, I think you've found this as well, mm. trying to do it like as a small business. And it's frustrating, I guess, how people who start small businesses are always held to like very high mm. standards um, mm-hmm. when really the people we should be holding to the highest standards are the people who get away with the most. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, nothing else to add there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I um I know we spoke about briefly in previous conversations around um communication and I'm sure that within your brand you also have a message that you want to share mm. with your audiences. And we had a really nice discussion in around um what I mean you've mentioned Vogue, so like all the other sort of big media outlets and what they're sharing around mm. fashion and I yeah. think Again, going back to that 10-year mark, again, nothing has really changed no. with, with that even. You no. know? So that's another step of the way beyond product, how we communicate and what messages we send and what stories we tell about this industry. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have anything here to sort of add in terms of the importance of, of that as well and the messages that you send through your brand as well. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess... Um like what messages are places like Vogue sending? And I know I mentioned this before, but, um, and I even wrote it down because I thought it was so good, but basically there's an episode of the podcast, The Cutting Room Floor, um, and it's a designer called Rachel Omondi who hosts it. Um, and I think the episode's called What Does Vogue Believe In? Mm. Um, and it's just super, super interesting because what what do these big institutions stand for Mm. and how 10 years on from now just using that as an example how is it that i can go into a shop and buy a magazine like an issue of vogue or l or whatever it might be Mm. and i said this to you before but um you know you open it up and it will give you like trends from the runway and where you can kind of shop to recreate those trends. Mm-hmm. And the items that it shows you are are from essentially what is still just fast fashion, like mm-hmm. whether it's expensive or not, like whether it's from Zara or H&M mm-hmm. or it's from like Net-A-Porter. Mm-hmm. I never know if it's Net-A-Porter or Net-A-Porter. <laughs> 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 but at whichever country you're in, I think it will have a different pronunciation. Yeah. But, you know, whether it's expensive or not, mm. most of these garments are still essentially made using modern day slavery. How are we still in a situation mm. where we are consuming that as a message? Like, how, how are we still allowing this and how is this still being allowed? Mm-hmm. that it's normal for people to be exploited in order to make our clothes. How, how are we in a situation where that is still normal, that's still accepted, mm. where we don't value, we, we, the, basically we don't value um, human life mm. because 
how can we say otherwise when we know we all know what the situation is and those films we watched at the um, mm. event we went to were amazing but in a way we don't even need to watch them because we know what they're going to say yeah. because we saw it 10 years ago yeah. we all watched those documentaries 10 years ago we know the situation we know that the people making our clothes are not treated well and yet big magazines continue to publish you know month in month out for years and years and years buy this buy that and none of it's ethical and mm. none of it's sustainable mm. <laughs> so we could talk about that for for a long time um you know but it's a re- i mean it's a really good realization yeah. i think awareness comes first yeah. And um, I think it's important for us as consumers, because obviously both of us are consumers as yeah, well absolutely. as brand yeah. owners. And, um, and I think anyone listening is probably some, in some way a consumer as well. Yeah. Um, it's important for us to filter through and yeah. um, be more mindful and conscious in terms of what we are feeding ourselves yeah. and the messages that we're um, resonating with. And there's obviously that whole... Um, idea of greenwashing as well yeah, in terms yeah. of what's true what's not what's sustainable yeah. what is sustainability yeah. um, and I mean on a daily basis I think kind of going back to what you said we are very much focused on the day to day jobs that we have to do um, and we forget about that big picture mm-hmm. and sometimes zooming out and just you know understanding like okay this is still happening I think some 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 sort of level of healthy frustration is important. Yeah, yeah. To be to be um, I don't know, almost avoiding those poor choices. Mm. Um, because I sometimes fall into trap of some like I don't know a trend that's going around, and oh, I same, think same. and I think that I want it, and then same. even if it's secondhand or whatever, yeah. Um, I always find a way to sort of justify myself, yeah. and it's yeah, yeah. It's important to zoom out and remember kind of the reality we live in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, same. Mm. I'm. I yeah. I'm a consumer, and mm. I still buy things from H uh, and M or wherever, even mm. though I know it's not ethical. So, mm. yeah. What is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we keep doing that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very deep philosophical question. Yeah. It's- <laughs> It'd be interesting to deep to yeah. dive into it, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, you mentioned this idea of um, both sort of very fast and cheap fashion being propagated and majority of which is made with modern day slavery and then our clothes are actually obviously made for polyester yeah yeah and, and that both of these translate into the high end um of fashion as well yeah and i think an interesting um idea that i came across in magazines which i think can be really useful and interesting to um to unpack is this idea of maybe more local trends, local yeah. localized um, fashion. And I had a conversation with a friend and we almost came up with a new business idea, essentially. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, this would be very hard to operationalize, <laughs> yeah. but is this idea of um, providing a service and um, almost like um, uh, drop, drop ship of luggage ready for you to go to a destination. <laughs> So I don't know if you ever have this, but whenever I go to a new destination, like let's say I'm going to Greece and my uh, taste of fashion changes 180 degrees. Like I want to be Greek. I want to wear (laughs) everything that they make in Greece. And I would love to embrace that for a week or two and then come back to my sweaters in Scotland. And then, you know, I don't have to have all these multiple wardrobes within Mm. my own actual wardrobe. I would love to tap into them. As in when I go. That is such and a good point. Like, why does that not exist? <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because one of the biggest things surely is like, um, like this time of year when everyone's like gearing up to go on their mm-hmm. hot holidays. Mm-hmm. Think about the amount of stuff we buy new yeah. and consume new. Yeah. Because we don't have the appropriate stuff yeah. because we've been living in like jumpers yeah, exactly. all year. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I have a very limited summer wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I always feel like, oh, well, it's a, it's a waste of space and, and money and yeah. everything to be investing yeah. in it, given that I wear it very, you know, very few days of the, of the year yeah, at the end totally. of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just like um, off topic, really. No, but... not at all. <laughs> it is, it's on topic. It's bang on topic. <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do wonder if you have... Um, any ideas in terms of where 
fashion is going or where you would like it to be. Mm. Um, do you see any, uh, personally, do you see anything that you would like for, fa- for fashion industry to kind of go uh, in a certain direction? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there is so much to be said for this idea of like local. Maybe this word has been like overused, mm. but um, I feel so inspired by seeing what goes on in terms of fashion locally. Even like the south side of Glasgow, um, where I live, I feel like is full of creative people who are. Um, I mean, like, the solutions to these problems, we wish that they came from, like, top down, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we wish that they would come from the big fashion giants. Mm -hmm. But I think more likely or more often, change probably comes from, like, grassroots Mm -hmm. and, like, from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And I see that happening everywhere, which is encouraging and amazing, everybody who has started uh, a business or continues to run a business that is really localized, mm-hmm. people love it. Like mm-hmm. People love it. People are engaged and mm-hmm. they want to support uh, super local stuff. And you see trends, I see trends just in the south side of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be much more interesting if, um, you know, these big magazines focused more on that. And I'm really interested in the idea of like, how do people dress in different cities? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you go to a new city and you arrive and then you immediately wish you were wearing something else because exactly. you're I like, mean, that's the luggage that's, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. You arrive and you're like, oh, everyone looks so cool here, but in a different way. Yeah. And it's because we're all inspired by the people who are around us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kind of like localization, um, I think is really inspiring. Um, what did you ask me? What What would I like to see change yeah. in the fashion industry? Yeah, I mean everything. I feel like there is nothing. <laughs> I feel like there is nothing that does not need to change in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Is it requires like complete upheaval? Mm-hmm. Um, I I read this book ages ago um, by this sci fi author Ursula. Kay Le Guin, I don't know if you know her, but she writes this amazing like sci-fi, or she did in like the Mm -hmm. 60s and 70s, uh, Mm -hmm. sci-fi like fiction. Mm -hmm. And like, you know how people say that like, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Okay. Or maybe you've never heard (laughs) that before. (laughs) Um, Because it's so hard to imagine like a different future. Mm -hmm. And when we think about what do we want to be different in fashion, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to imagine a system that's different to the one that we have now. Mm And I think sometimes it's easier to sometimes it's easier to imagine those things through like the work of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this book, it's called The Dispossessed, and it's about this main character who lives on a, a planet that's kind of like the moon, and mm-hmm. he visits for the first time a planet that's kind of like Earth. Okay. And so through like describing it as though it's fiction, it kind of helps you see like the problems we have and uh in the book the author describes like um what what like the the moon kind of planet has in terms of like everywhere there are like workshops and like people making things and um really connected like community and then he describes going to earth and um I might read it out if that's okay it's like a really short thing absolutely please (laughs) Please do it. Um, But basically, he's describing, like, visiting, like, a busy shopping street. So imagine, I guess, like, whatever city you live in, Mm -hmm. just the main street. So for me, that would be Buchanan Street, which is where I work, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it kind of accurately describes the situation we have. So he says, And the strangest thing about the nightmare street was that none of the millions of things for sale were made there. Where were the workshops, the factories, the craftsmen the miners, the weavers, the chemists, the carvers, the dyers, the designers, the machinists, where were the hands, the people who made, out of sight, somewhere else, behind walls. All the people in all the shops were either buyers or sellers. 
they had no relation to the things but that of possession. Um, and I just think it was really cool. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good, yeah, right? It's so good. Like when you think about, like it gives me chills. Like mm. when you think about our world and our cities and the way they're structured, mm. making things makes us happy. Like, okay, we've out, we've outsourced the labor. We've outsourced labor of everything so that we don't have to do anything, so that we don't have to make our own, cook our own meals mm. or uh, make our own clothes mm-hmm. so that we have more time. But time for what? Because, mm. like, isn't creating what makes us happy? Isn't that what makes us not depressed? Mm. Like, isn't, like, yes, you can buy a ready meal in, like, a plastic package, but does that make us happy? Mm. And does that give us more time to do what? Like... I think cooking dinner probably makes us feel whole and happy. Mm-hmm. And for me, making, you know, clothes, like knitting um, and making things with my hands, it literally makes me not depressed. It makes mm. me feel like whole. Mm-hmm. And yet when we go to like the main streets in our cities, there's all this stuff and it's been made by human hands, but not ours. And you can't see who made it. Mm. It's just, it's so broken. Mm. I feel like the yeah. world is broken now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's such, such great um, anecdotes and analogies in terms of just this, I think we're just addicted to dopamine nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And these like fast hits of, um, fast returns of sort of these, well I would say happiness but it's yeah, not it's not no, happiness no, right no I think it's making it's, us very unhappy yeah ultimately yeah yeah and I think yeah. that spans industries and it spans yeah. across our lives in general nowadays I yeah. think that's just uh it's an almost like a modern um illness of yeah. some sort yeah right? I think it is yeah yeah mm. yeah yeah but um, I mean yeah I think that's uh, a really good point uh, within fashion, just kind yeah. of going back to that in terms of, yeah, um, being completely out of touch. And I mean, I've just, it, throughout the conversation, I keep thinking about your brand name, Touch Knit. Mm. I mean, you're literally touching the knit and you're literally, yeah. you're the, the person who made it. Yeah. yeah. And it's so powerful, I think. Yeah. Um, we don't realize how many hands touch every piece of garment before it arrives to you yeah and especially in the globalized world where um there is massive um like a lot of steps being involved in terms of that garment arriving into yeah. that local local store of yeah. yours into yeah. that um high street so i think yeah it's it's a it's a really i mean almost very nostalgic but also just a beautiful point to make to and to remember mm. Mm. yeah totally totally and I guess one, another like point of hope um, mm-hmm. is, so both Bard and Mimo, the mm. people I'm working with, um, in a way they are like an antidote to this thing and where if you go in, into either of those stores, they do actually know everybody who made mm. everything in, in the shop mm-hmm. and they chose them for a reason and they have a relationship with them. And they, the products mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, there's hope. No, yeah. I mean, do you know what? I'm a very much a realist, and mm. I, um, I like to um, improve, and always remember the setting and the context we're in. Yeah. I mean, we do live in a capitalist society. Yeah. We live in a globalized world. Yeah. How can we work with these um, systems? Uh, and the setup we have to better that world, right? Yeah. And I think there is um important. It's important to remember that yes, the local um element is super valuable, and we yeah. should cherish that and um and support it whenever we can. Yeah. So you know we have the ability to knit in Scotland. So let's do that yeah. if yeah. we can. Yeah. Um, but then let's also um use um whatever systems there are in place already to be able to get, I don't know, cotton that is yeah. obviously not here, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I think technology, <laughs> <laughs> and I think technology is also another important uh, element within yeah. that system in terms of 
um, providing us with transparency and pushing yeah. for um, with you know working and operating within that globalized yeah. world to make to yeah. bring that person closer to us yeah yeah because mm. it's not to say like so for example with this thing I just read out from this book it's mm. not like I'm saying we should go back in time yeah. and like you know we should because it, I guess you could say this is kind of what we used to have where mm-hmm. everything was made in in the country we're mm-hmm. in but I'm not saying we should go back in time and mm. we can't go back in time and that's not yeah. necessarily what would be good but we we need to move forward yeah and we need to, yeah, as you say, Olga, use the technology that we do mm-hmm. have to imagine a new future, a better future, mm-hmm. where, yes, where we do the things we can locally, for example. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can knit. It's a great example. But then we can't grow co- yeah. cotton here. Yeah. So, like, yeah, what technology can we use yeah. in a way that values people and values the planet? Mm. I think just going back to us being consumers, yeah. all of us being consumers yeah. and all of us at some point or another walk through high streets of cities yeah. and we touch products, this, you know, the extract you read is super valuable for us to just remember mm. as we um, engage with garments or any other products. I mean, we are, I definitely feel like I'm in this bubble of fashion, but I think this should yeah. be a topic beyond fashion as well yeah. um, in terms of being mindful, trying to ask those questions again, who made our clothes, like, you know, the fashion revolution slogans and um, that local element and just being as close to the people who make it as, as we can. Yeah. And if we can't, then demand that from the system, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you have um, anything else that you'd like to share with the audience before we close off? Are there any final thoughts um, tips maybe anything you want to share about the f- near future of yours um, I guess just to say again that I feel so inspired by everybody around me mm-hmm. um, I feel like there is so much positivity so much good stuff happening uh, even just where I live in, in Glasgow in the mm-hmm. south side mm-hmm. um, and I feel lucky to be able to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. No, that's lovely. <laughs> I mean, I think I would say the same. And I think I really second the thought of grassroots movements, the bottom up yeah. approach. Um, we often can feel like we don't have any power to change yeah. things, but I think we have all the power. Mm. We just have to get up and do something yeah and no matter how small or big it is i think it has value and again we're a system so the parts form that system right mm, mm. um so not one thing will shift yeah. and change but it's the elements together mm. and yeah that just reminded me as well of something i always think which is like when facing these big scary issues mm. i think um sometimes you feel like kind of becoming like a martyr, like dying on a hill of like getting really angry about <laughs> it and like fighting really hard. Mm. But actually I think the best thing that any of us can do is to do the thing that we feel specifically passionate about mm-hmm. or the thing that brings mm-hmm. us joy because when we do that, I think we're of most use to, yeah. to ourselves and to the world. Yeah, I agree, I agree. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so so much for thank coming. You, Olga. Thank you, Olga. It was amazing. So much. Uh, I had a wonderful time. I felt like I've gone through this journey of exploration of your world <laughs> and your mind. So yeah, thank you so much for letting me there. Oh no, thank you so much for having me.